It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Yes, they are. And that's why we're here fighting. Sandy Rios with you this morning. One of the things that's worth fighting for is the health and safety and welfare of our children. Uh, We fight uh, against abortion because we feel that innocent lives are are the worst that people can take. I think God's made that very clear, that any harm that we do to children is worse than just about anything else. And America has always been a land that protects our children, and that's why it's important that we talk about one portion of this, which is violence upon children, which is increasing. Every week, the headlines, whether it's my hometown of Chicago, whether it's Baltimore or uh, Los Angeles, children are being coming more increasingly the victims of violent crime. Uh, and someone who is very concerned about this and honing in on it in a very new way is our good friend, Bishop E.W. Jackson, he, of course, you hear every day on The Awakening at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on this network, uh, and he's heard other places. I'll get him a better introduction in a minute, but um, he joins us this morning to discuss his new initiative, just to try to push back on this. It's called Awakening Hearts and Minds. Good morning, Bishop Jackson. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Sandy, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's talk, first of all, about your initiative. Then I want to talk to you about other things. But Awakening Hearts and Minds, that's kind of a theme with you because you're Radio show is The Awakening. Your television show is Vision Awakening. Your podcast is Wisdom Awakening. People may not even be aware that you have all of those things. The podcast, by the way, is heard uh, every morning, 8.30, Monday through Friday. And Bishop Jackson is also the author of three different excellent books, one of my favorite people. Awakening Hearts and Minds, uh, Bishop, what's, what's that all about? Well, look, it has two aspects. One is obviously a spiritual aspect, Sandy, because it's clear to me that the solutions that have been offered really for the last 60 years uh, to the inner city, particularly the black community, but that includes, you know, poor people in general, uh, have only served to be destructive, destructive of the family, destructive of education. And now we're seeing this major spike in violent crime, which is destructive of public safety. Uh, and the and the policy pe- people who are prescribing all of this stuff are the same folks who've been voted for again and again and again and again, only to wreak havoc in these communities. I mean, nothing's getting better. Things are only getting worse. And so one of the things that most people were not aware of that we realize is the number of innocent children who are being murdered right now. I mean, we know about the gang banging. We know about the drive-by shootings. But what most people don't know is that since 2020, since George Floyd uh, erupted on the country with the terrible thing that happened to him, obviously that was wrong. But then the violent, riotous, looting uh, uh, attacks on police that happened afterwards that now served to demoralize the police have, in the wake of that, uh, caused the murders of 288 innocent children 
who, again, these are, these are often very young children sleeping in their beds, playing in their living rooms, riding their bikes uh, in their yards or on the sidewalk, in their parents' cars, and suddenly violence erupts and these children become victimized by it. And, and nobody's really, except for you, Sandy, most people aren't, they're not, they're not connecting the dots. They don't realize this is not just a Chicago problem. This is a nationwide problem. And the most innocent of us are the ones who seem to be suffering the most. You know, Chicago's my hometown. I think you know that. And I think of the stories uh, through the years, honestly. Bishop, I would be reporting when I was on in the afternoon drive time in Chicago. I'd catch some news story coming from the Chicago Tribune of the Sun-Times, and it would be some story about some violence against a child. And I would, it would be so egregious that I would, it would just make me weep. And I would think to myself, um, that has to be the worst I've ever heard. That has to be the worst. That is just the worst story, the worst case of crime against a child I've ever heard. And then a week or two later, there's another story that's worse. It's just getting progressively worse. We hear of kids being shot through the door, through the walls of their home, you know, watching television being killed. And as you said, children driving with their parents and cars in these gang shootings, uh, it, it is it is horrific. Is there um, a geographic area, a, a city? I'm assuming this is mostly city violence, right? It is. It is. It is mainly city violence. The three worst cities right now for children to live in are Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, and Memphis. Uh, and then, of course, St. Louis is, is the, prank, uh, the, the worst per capita in terms of violence. So this is happening in cities all across the country. Uh, it's happened right here in my own backyard. I live in Southeast Virginia. One of my church members had a relative who walked into a 7-Eleven. Young kid walked into 7-Eleven to buy something, shot dead because a gunfight broke out there. Uh, so this stuff is, is touching all of us uh, all across the board. And as we know, it's spilling out beyond the inner cities as well into downtown areas, the looting of some of these uh, retail stores and so forth. So it's just gotten out of control. And what we're trying to do, Sandy, is say to people, look, we've got to awaken to the fact that you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. I mean, legend Talia Farrow, which is a name that will resonate with many people, this kid was five years old sleeping in his bed. He never woke up because a bullet, as you just suggested, a bullet came through his wall, the walls of his house, and killed him in his sleep. I mean, th- this is, and, and, and there are many, many similar kinds of examples. Uh, and you know, the other thing, I just talked to a mother, for example, we're planning an event, by the way, Sandy, in Chicago to call attention to this, not only in Chicago, but to the nation, working with some people in Chicago who are just fed up with it. And I talked to one mother, uh, her name is uh, Angela, and Angela's son, MJ, uh, was killed about 10 months ago. She said she's been working with the police. By the way, the the, the clearance rate on these, the, the solution, solving of these problems, uh, of these murders, is about 12% in Chicago. 12%. That means almost 90% of these never get solved. But she said, she's talking to the police officers, they catch some of these guys, and they say, well, were you aware that a child was killed? Were you aware that that you know you you killed a three-year-old child, or, or in some cases, a five-month-old child? 
and they are cold about it. They say, look, it's collateral damage. We set out to do what we want to do, and anybody who happens to be in the way, that's their bad luck. So there's a coldness, there's a kind of pathology that's set in that is not being addressed while people are pointing the fingers at police, and the police are the problem. There is a pathology that is set in that is endangering every law-abiding citizen in these communities, and somebody's got to call attention to this need for some inner transformation, not just pointing the finger at police and racism and this, that, and the other as ways of avoiding personal responsibility and, of course, the importance of family. You know, I will never forget a caller in Chicago. This is my heart, you know, we talk about this, it takes me back to that time. I, it just does because that was really, when you do Chicago talk radio, you know, I have a huge black listening audience and they were already uh, in the late 90s suffering so much from this. One woman called in and she said to me, she said, Sandy, I look in the eyes of some of our kids and she said, I don't see anything. They're just like dead. It's just a stare. There's nothing there. It's like they are walking dead. And I remember how th- that was just penetrating. But now we we know what she's talking about. I would just maintain before you respond to that, it isn't, we're beginning to see that in children all over. They have no affect on their faces. Their stares are lacking in human response but back to back to uh, the the, yeah. the hood, the community, especially Chicago and other these inner cities. What are your thoughts about what's causing that? Well, you know my background, Sandy. I was born into a broken home. I was raised in foster care until I was ten years old, and by the age of ten, I was a gang member. I was committing petty crimes. I wasn't going to school unless I felt like it. And I was really on a trajectory to the penitentiary, frankly, or to an early death because we were already having vicious gang fights. Thank God we weren't using guns or knives at that point. But, but still, they were, they were very, very violent confrontations that we were having based upon territory and all of that. Wouldn't have taken a little bit of time for drugs to come in. And before you know it, people are getting killed. Uh, and what changed my life was a dad. My dad took custody of me at the age of 10 years old. Um, and, and I often say he changed my culture and changed my vision for what my life could be. Up until that time, my admiration was for the guy who had gone to prison and come out and was tough and everybody was afraid of him and respected him. And that's what I wanted to be. And that's what all my friends, that's what we wanted to be. We wanted to be like that guy. And my father gave me a new vision for life. He, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be somebody who went to work every day, somebody who lived a safe and productive life. I wanted to be somebody who got a college education, who did something productive with my life. And uh, Sandy, we can't keep ignoring the breakdown of the family and think we're going to ultimately solve this problem. We've got to address that. And I know it's a, th- a tough problem to address, but we, my wife and I have a school right now, for example, and uh, Maximum Potential Christian Academy, and we're grappling with addressing the issues of family with children who have never seen true, strong, healthy family modeled for them. And we're trying to help them understand what that is so they have a vision for something different, perhaps, than what they were raised in. So it's a tough problem, Sandy, but it's one that's got to be addressed because if you're a kid like I was who thinks you're not loved, you're abandoned, uh, there's no one who who really is there to protect you, to take care of you. Uh, you're on your own. That's a very, very dangerous formula. And that's what we're reaping, I think, in many ways right now in the streets of our cities. Are you saying that these 
children victims of violence that you're tracking are for the most part minority kids. Is that what you're saying? Are there overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, okay. uh, and of course they're being murdered by other minorities. They're they're black kids primarily being murdered primarily by young black men who have no sense of direction in life and no sense of morality, uh, and they just, they're just they just going to do what they want to do. Somebody disrespected them. They've got this hyper sense of what it means to be a man. That's this perverted sense of what it means to be a man. And killing people is no big deal as long as you get respect. I mean, it's it's very perverse. And here again, nobody wants to address, when I say nobody, but you know, the, the, the cultural influencers don't really want to address that. They, they're waiting for the police incident so they can blame the police. It's all a police problem. But Sandy, 52% of the murders in America are committed by people who come from only 6% of the population. That's young black men. So clearly there's something wrong within. It's not a police problem. In fact, the, as we've seen, the, the, the dismantling and defunding of police has led to a further spike in crime. You know, the one thing I don't, I want people to understand, Bishop Jackson, and I've had the, I guess you could call it a privilege, uh, the insight, the exposure to mothers and, and intact families, the few that there are in uh, black communities in Chicago, the pain that they suffer, the worry that they have for their children, the burden that they bear on a daily basis is something I just don't think people understand, and they must, certainly Christian people that listen to this show, when they make flippant judgments about what's happening in the black community, they have to understand there are so many, many fine people in that community who are trapped by the violence, whose children are prey to these people who don't have any regard for, for life. And uh, just your thoughts about that before we take a break here. So, so very, very true that th- these the, the criminal culture that is captive, captivating the black community, holding it, is about 10 percent of the population of that community. It's not the majority. Most people are living law abiding lives. And so we've got to address that 10 percent because that 10 percent is, frankly, destabilizing the entire community. And those mothers who are working hard to raise children by themselves. You're right, Sandy. God bless them. They are they are really facing an uphill battle. Some of them managed to succeed at it. But it's just a reminder to us that it's not God's best. God's best is for father, a mother, a husband and wife to raise those children and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and produce good, productive people and citizens and Christians. All right. Great. All right. I'm talking to E.W. Jackson. You can hear him every day at one o'clock Eastern Standard on this network uh, with uh, his show, The The Awakening. But we're not done yet. We're not done with you, Bishop Jackson. Stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios with you. And it really is my privilege to have some time with Bishop E.W. Jackson this morning. I always enjoy him. And because he's so busy, because I'm so busy, I hardly ever see him, except when we're passing each other. He's speaking and then I'm speaking and we greet each other and then go our separate ways. But I have great admiration for him, and I'm so grateful that he's part of our AFR Talk lineup, and you can hear him every day at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Also, his podcast, Wisdom Awakening, and his television show, TV uh, Vision Awakening. So, And he's the author of three books, and actually, I want to, you know what, let's go to that, because I don't know, honestly, I cannot remember when I was reading your bio again, reminding myself, 
uh, that your last book was actually on your um, your upbringing. And it was about, it's called A Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. I do think I talked to you about that when I was, uh, when uh, a long time ago when you when the book came out. But I wanted well, to actually, talk about... Actually, Sandy, it, 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 it's, it's not published yet. It's, it's written, it's with the publisher. Uh, it'll be coming out later this year. Okay, let me then back but it's up. Been, it's been in the works, it's been in the works for a long time. So I've been, you and I probably talked about it because I've been talking about it for oh, okay. a long time. Okay, well then that explains it. But the thing that I can't remember and I want to hear again, uh, let me remind people, you just said a little bit of your biography. Uh, you, when you were in the United States Marine Corps, uh, you graduated summa cum laude uh, with a Phi Beta Kappa key from the University of Massachusetts at Boston in 1976. We have a question about that. Then Harvard Law School in 1978, uh, you got your uh, law degree. You studied at Harvard Divinity School. You were licensed at a Baptist minister and ordained as a bishop in 1998. I want to go back to your uh, your college experience because that's interesting to me. How did that go at uh, University of Massachusetts in Boston 1975? Because as I recall, and I do recall it very well, that was at the height of the riots uh, the, the unrest between blacks and whites in the country. I mean, you could say there was unrest in the 60s and 50s, yes, but this was really bad, too. How was that for you as a black man attern- attending the University of Massachusetts in Boston in 1975? Well, you know, b- believe it or not, it's interesting. <clears throat> uh, busing was going on at the time. At the time, I got out of the Marine Corps and went back to college, and so that threw Boston into a tailspin. It was, it was pretty tense, but it was mainly tense only in the parts of the city, South Boston mainly, where they were busing black children. And by the way, even then, Sandy, you probably won't be surprised to know I was getting myself into trouble because I was <laughs> saying it doesn't make sense to me to bus poor black children out of a poor black neighborhood into a poor white neighborhood and set everybody against each other. And this is supposed to improve education for whom? And of course, it was an utter failure as I expected it to be, but it created a lot of tension. But, you know, the the interesting thing, I didn't really experience much of that except at the periphery. I mean, you were told, don't don't find yourself in South Boston because things are pretty tense right now. But but aside from that, you know, I've been one of those people who've always, Sandy, just looked at people as individuals and dealt with people as such. And so for me personally and for my family, we, we never had any serious problems uh, we did, on occasion, run into a little bit of an issue with some people, but it was it was very, very rare. And, you know, I, I think that most Americans, even then, even then, at the height of busing, most Americans just want to get along with their neighbor, just want to treat people as individuals. Uh, and, you know, you've got some folks who get caught up with this racial ideology, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, uh, and they want to be at war with somebody. They want tribes at war with each other. But I think most most Americans throughout my life, Sandy, just want to just be people and just deal with people uh, as such, rather than looking, as Dr. King said, not judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, I'll tell you one thing I will say about my time at the University of Massachusetts, and I never had any problems at all on campus, except that it was very, very left. Very left. 
And I've told this story before, and people ask me, well, what about, have you, haven't you experienced discrimination? I tell them the worst discrimination I ever received was that when I told my professors uh, that I wanted to go to Harvard Law School and ask them to write me a letter of recommendation, and three professors from whom I'd gotten straight A's said, well, I wouldn't encourage you to go to Harvard, try to go to Harvard because black people don't do well on standardized tests because oh. they're racially biased. And you're probably not going to get in because you won't do well on the LSATs. Mm. And now that's that's something that will always stand out in my mind. And, and I was raised by my father to, to believe that you can do anything you put your mind to. And you have the gifts and the abilities and the talent and the talent to do. And what you got to do is go at it. And when I heard that, I just thought, well, we'll just see about that, <laughs> you know. And I began to study for the LSATs and take practice exams and and prepare myself for it and did quite well on it. So um, that's the kind of racism, frankly, Sandy, that I've experienced more than people being hostile against me for the color of my skin. It's been a kind of condescension and paternalism. And we're going to help you, poor thing, um, because we know you're really not quite up to the task because you're totally. black. Uh, yeah, but we're, we'll help you anyway. So that that's the kind of racism, I think, is the most dangerous and, and, uh, and pernicious in our country right now. Yes. Clarence Thomas, he said the most bigotry he had ever experienced in his life was not from uh, not from uh, white conservatives, from, but from white liberals. White liberals were the worst, mm-hmm. the most bigoted. And, uh, you know, uh, his problem, of course, was similar to yours. He, he didn't want special favors uh, in, his, uh, in his educational opportunities and in his, in his jobs that he was hired for. And yet, so what happened with him, and I'm sure it's happened with you too, is because of that notion that the, the left has planted in people's heads that blacks cannot achieve in the same way. They can't do the test the same way. They need special help. All of them wink and a nod. And they need, uh, you know, special uh, pr- uh, provisions in order to get them hired because they can't cut it. Uh, that's really basically what they have ingrained in people's minds. And so when you don't, that's not a problem. Of course you can pass the test. Of course you can compete, which is the case with you, the case with Clarence Thomas and Excel. It then does this horrible thing to you as a black man mm-hmm. operating in that sphere because everybody thinks you did that because you had special privilege or you couldn't quite cut it, so they helped you. Does that annoy you? Oh, yes. I mean, you're right. You're, you must be an affirmative action baby. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's what I've always argued about affirmative action, that it stigmatizes the very people you claim you want to help. When you mm-hmm. want surgery or need surgery, do you want a doctor who may not have done as well on his exams, may not have done as well on, on his practicum as some other doctor, but because he's his skin is darker, we gave him a little bit of a break. I don't. <laughs> I want the doctor who's at the top of his class. I want the person who is, is, is at the, the top of his skill level. Uh, I don't want somebody who I think has been kind of shuffled along so that we can have equity and we can have more of representative from these folks in the profession. And see, look, and say, I'm convinced of this. I, you know, I've looked at this issue every which way. God did not distribute intelligence, gifts, abilities on the basis of race. All individuals are gifted and talented in some way 
Some get more notoriety than others because of what they can do. Some do what they do quietly and nobody knows about it, like that football player, for example, black football player who is the superior mathematician. And nobody knew because he was out playing football. And he said, yeah, my biggest concern is injuring this brain of mine that does all this high math. But, you know, you're not, not going to get accolades for that. You, you know, you, so, so the gifts and the talents of all of our people need to be unlocked for the benefit and the, the blessing of this country and telling people that they can't because the white people won't let you, the system won't let you, it's inherently racist, this, that, and the other. I, you know, Sandy, I thank God for my dad because I was never told any of that drivel. I was never given any of that nonsense. I was told that my destiny was in my own hands before Almighty God and that I could do pretty much anything my gifts and abilities and talents would allow me to do, but I had to work hard and 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 overcome obstacles like everybody else in life. That's the way I was taught. And now we're crippling kids by telling them that they can't because they won't let you and they're against you and the cops are out hunting you down and, and all of this stuff, which to me, it just debilitates them and robs America, frankly, of a lot of gifts and talents that should be put to productive use. You know, I think it's the very same thing on with feminism. I, I could yep. say the same thing yep. you just said. I grew up, uh, my dad, I had a sister. My dad had us do all kinds of things that boys do. It was never discussed. I mean, we just did. I didn't grow up thinking about my gender so much. I don't. I was never a princess. I mean, my dad was really hard on me, but it was hard work. You achieved by hard work, and you didn't. I was never told you can't do that because you're a girl, and yet I was never a feminist. I'm still not a feminist. It revol- It repulses me, to be honest with you. And so now we are telling our girls uh, that they're mm-hmm. so mistreated. It's a male-dominated society, those alpha males or whatever the word they use now. Uh, they've so mistreated women, and it's just such a – it's certainly a lie for the last 20 years. That's just – or 30. That's an abject lie. Women are, what, in colleges and universities – uh, yep. by in proportion more than men are now they are having yes. the same kind of opportunities and obviously not even doing very well in some of those things they really are not equipped to do so it's the same but different isn't it isn't it isn't that amazing it, how they do the same thing because because what the the ideology behind that of course is tribalism it's ideological tribalism because in order to push a marxist and socialist agenda you need uh, uh, victims and you've got to convince people that they're victims, even if they're not. I mean, I was, I was say, so this is the anomaly you get. You get a billionaire Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey, a billionaire LeBron James, whining about the injustice <laughs> of their true. lives. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it just, it, right, it's absurd. Know, Instead of helping other people to achieve what they've achieved, or at least to go for their dreams, they're busy telling people how unjust the society is and how it won't let them. And of course, my question is always, well, so uh, it, you must be so superior then to everybody else that you just transcend all those limitations. But the rest of us, we just have to wallow in the muck and the mire because after all, the, the society won't allow us to achieve anything with our gifts and talents and abilities. I mean, it is really, it is an ideology of despair ultimately. And, and frankly, I think it has become all too prevalent in the black community particularly. And that's why Awakening Hearts and Minds, to bring us back to that, that's why we launched that, to say to people, you're being lied to. Your children can learn, but they they need a school that is committed to teaching them not their 
transgender status or their their sexual identity or that race is everything, but teaching them to read, to write, to analyze, to understand history, to understand civics and politics, to, to, to science, so that they are actually equipped to go out there and work in the world. I mean, rather than being told you're a victim uh, and the world owes you something and you'll never quite get it because it's inherently unjust, maybe what we need is a revolution. I think that's ultimately where they're going. We need a revolution because this system is hopelessly corrupt. Well, and it's not a revolution so that they can actually work now, let now. I want a revolution where I actually can get to work and do the incredible job with the skills that I have so that I can get ahead. It's, it's a payback. It's a vengeance uh, on both parts. It's, not, it's just so destructive. Uh, it keeps them from producing, and then it gives them someone to blame, and then so they, they're, they're in bitterness all of their lives. I just hate it. It has to be, I'm thinking, from the pit of hell. It really does have to be it from is. the pit it's of hell. It is. It's a deception. It's so in, we have a few minutes before this break. Is there anything else in your project that you're calling Awakening Hearts and Minds to address this violence on kids? What practical things are you asking people to do? Well, we're, we're focusing on three things. One is, of course, helping people understand the importance of teaching family values and principles to our children, that the Christian schools need to do it. Public schools would, would do it, but they're too busy with something else. Um, that they, they, they need to, we need to call to account uh, these young men who impregnate women and then walk away as if having a baby mama is the be-all and end-all of life, and that, that defines manhood. No, manhood is taking responsibility for the children that you father, marrying their mother and raising a family. And then secondly, school choice. The parents need to be able to choose the school that best educates their children rather than being locked in these failing inner city schools. And then thirdly, Sandy, public safety, that we need a good relationship with police officers. We need to work with them. You see what happens when you don't. You see what happens when they are demoralized and they are marginalized. What you get is you get crime running rampant and and nobody capable of living in peace and safety. And so you've got to have a productive relationship with police officers. So at our meeting in Chicago that we're planning, for example, in October, we're going to be emphasizing those themes and bringing police in to talk about these issues, family experts to talk about that, uh, and giving people some practical things and then some follow-up as well. You know, one just uh, thing that I will never forget, speaking particularly of the black family and the black community, there was a great book that I interviewed. Uh, it's a guy named Clifton. I can't think of his last name. It's called When We Were Colored. And he talks about the black family in the 50s and how the parents were solvent. It was their intact families, uh, how they worked, uh, the values, uh, the faith that was, uh, the Christian faith that was embraced, the the respect and behavior of the kids. It's like another world until uh, the the great new, whatever that program was called by President Johnson, uh, where it actually kind of dismantled. the Great Society program. The Great great Society, (laughs) um, yeah. I would commend that book to anyone, uh, When We Were Colored. I just think it's a, it's a great picture of the black community before the government messed with it in such a horrible way. When we come back, uh, Bishop Jackson, I'm going to give you a roundtable of questions on a lot of other things. I'm just going to surprise you, so stay tuned. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't 
Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Okay, then, Sandy Rios back with you with my good friend Bishop E.W. Jackson. He's your good friend, too. If you listen to him every day at 1 o'clock on Eastern, Eastern Standard Time, the, the Awakening on this network, uh, we're going to continue our discussion. Now, of course, Bishop Jackson talks about everything, and uh, he doesn't talk. <laughs> this is amazing. You know, it's amazing. I, I know it's hard to understand, but black people can actually talk about things that are not specifically about black people. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to give you an example. All right. So, Bishop Jackson, the inflation, and we can talk about it as it affects the the black community. I'm, ha- I'm happy to do that if you're happy to do that. Uh, inflation is just killing everyone. The, the gas prices, we know that uh, we are really probably officially in recession, even though the, the Biden administration is denying that. Just your thoughts about what are you telling your listeners about that and certainly the moral principle of that and how it's affecting us and how we should respond to it? Well, first, Sandy, if I can inject a little humor, I've been telling people it's not actually inflation. It's transinflation. It looks like inflation on the outside, but on the inside, it's really something else. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you know. they are renaming it. So you're right. right. Wikipedia right. is going to exactly. reflect that very it, shortly. Remember, yeah. It was transitory, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. It, it, it just, look, if any, I've said you could give a, a an elementary school kid a primer in economics and know that the massive spending that the Biden administration has done was going to lead to inflation. Too much money chasing too few goods with all kinds of supply chain problems, shortages, people out of work, productivity down. It was inevitable. And you're right. It is eating away at the income of the average American. I just had an electrician at our house not too long ago, and he was talking about the fact that he and his wife had gone to the supermarket and they bought like not much stuff and it cost them 200 bucks. They said, and they stood there and looked at the bill and went, what in the world is going on here? I mean, it, this is across all racial and cultural lines. This is hitting people. And look, the, the, the solution is very, very simple. And I don't think this administration cares because they want more people dependent upon government. And I think they want to undermine the free market economy. Stop spending money. Stop spending, but they they've just proposed another new bill. Uh, oh, this gonna, is the Inflation Reduction Inflation. Act. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, it's so, so we need it, a laugh track. We need a laugh track. It really, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I, I, my my prayer is sincerely is that we will elect a Congress that will put the stop on this and and bring us back to some economic sanity before they do irreparable damage to our economy. Uh, Sam, speaking of elections, you know, we just had primaries on Tuesday, uh, and we are in a very important election cycle. I would really like to know just your thoughts about what's going on maybe where you live or just around the country, what you're observing and what your thoughts are about how should pe- people should feel about this election. Well, I think there are two things. I think one is that the, the left has demonstrated just how crazy they are, and I think the crazier they show themselves to be, the more they move independents and even some Democrats to vote against them because they are realizing that these folks have gone completely off the rails when a Supreme Court justice 
can't define what a woman is. Uh, when we are we are told here recently, for example, oh no no, a recession is not what we've known it to be for the last half century. No, we're it's something different now. So no matter what you're going through economically, don't pay any attention to that. Listen to us because we're going to redefine it for you, and that's going to change the nature of reality. I think that the more they go down this road of trying to convince people that left is right and right is wrong and up is down and evil is good and 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 you know the more people are going to say I, we can't trust these people with power and and to, i think the measure of that sandy is we're seeing erosion of the vote in the black community particularly among black males who are now voting more republican than they ever have in the last half century or more uh, obviously we're seeing a major shift in the hispanic vote um, and i think there are a lot of people who, from all backgrounds, who, like people from my background, say, you know, my great, my, I've met people from Appalachia, my, my great-grandmother was a Democrat, and my grandmother was a Democrat. And, <laughs> yes. But, they, you know, they're saying, but I'm not going to be a Democrat anymore. I mean, I've had enough. Um, and I think, I think we are looking for a tsunami-type election. I think it's going to be of historic proportions. And frankly, just like in Virginia, where Terry McAuliffe kept saying, I'm not going to have parents telling teachers what they can teach people's children. And he lost the election for the Democrats, and we took back the House as a result of his arrogance. I think the same thing is going to happen in November, and it is what I'm earnestly praying for and, frankly, what the country desperately needs. So what do you think about voter fraud? Is it a big lie, you think? Was it a big lie that there were problems in the 2020 election? You know, this is amazing to me. There is no area of life where fraud and corruption do not enter. There's none. But suddenly we're to believe that when it comes to the, 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 the way we choose people who will exercise power and authority in our government, there's no corruption there. Oh, no, there's no fraud. There's nothing to see here. Of course there is. And, and the Heritage Foundation has chronicled thousands of cases of voter fraud. And you can read those, those uh, uh, issues in the newspaper from week to week, people being convicted of voter fraud. And then I think the Dinesh D'Souza uh, film. Uh, 10,000 Mules. 10, yes, 10,000. Was it 2,000 Mules? I think it was. Oh, but 2,000 Mules. <laughs> but, Two or 10, you know. But, <laughs> but all of that tells us, and, and, and let's add, all of these uh, shenanigans that were pulled, justified by COVID, like these, uh, what, what did they call them? These these voting boxes, these- Oh, drop flu- boxes. These drop boxes. Drop boxes. I, all of this stuff tells me that there were very serious flaws in the last election. And, you know, frankly, it took me a while to get here, Sandy, but I'm, I'm, I'm of the conclusion that yeah, it it was fraudulent. It was that that the election was stolen by a variety of means. Oh, now not to mention the suppression of the Hunter Biden story that all the polls showed moved a significant percentage of voters if they had known about the Hunter Biden story and Joe Biden's involvement with his son in selling uh, influence to foreign governments. I mean, so there's a lot there, but I think here again, no need in looking back at the past other than trying to make sure we don't let this happen again. I think now we've got to look ahead to the future and electing a Congress and a president that is going to serve the American people rather than seeing us as their little honeypot that they can use for their own self aggrandizement. But I'm guessing that you would agree that we have to clean out, uh, the methods 
the ballot boxes, the voter fraud, oh, the yeah. machines, the all of it. We need to we or we won't have a free and fair election. I think that's the huge concern. It's amazing to me that the polls show that um, the election. Uh, in general, election integrity is very, very, very important to them. That's why the Republicans' establishment don't want to acknowledge that. They want to. They want to say, "Let's get behind that. Get beyond that." But it has to be fixed, or we won't have any fair and free elections. I, I, okay, now, now I need to know. Uh, the J Six Committee has made a huge splash on our television screens, and I would love to know what you think about what they're doing and about J Six. Just all of it, whatever comes to your mind. From my perspective, as somebody who practiced law for 15 years uh, and respects our legal system, I think it's the best in the world where two gladiators get into a courtroom and debate the facts and the law, and a jury of our peers determines who they believe and who they don't, what facts are accurate and which, which facts is presented or not. This is nothing but a kangaroo court. It's a violation of everything our country stands for in terms of fairness. Uh, and so I've watched some of it, but I found it to be wholly unconvincing because they only are telling one side of the story. And you can't even the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, uh, uh, everyone believes the testimony of a man until you hear the other side. And so these horrendous stories like the, the story about how President Trump behaved and then not calling Secret Service agents, who some of whom said, uh, that never happened, and we weren't called to refute it. So I, I, to me, it's a kangaroo court. It's the equivalent of a communist show trial, and it's a sad stage in our history that uh, they didn't have the wherewithal, the sense, the common sense to say you've got to have people from the other side because if there's really something there, then it will be credible. But now, as far as I'm concerned, this thing has no credibility whatsoever. Ever. And it's it's just a, a black mark on the history of our country that we are turning our, our criminal justice system and our judicial system into a partisan exercise in punishing those with whom you disagree. Because that, to me, is all this boils down to. And I said it reminds me of a line in one of my favorite movies, Silverado, where the sheriff says to a guy he's trying to get out of his hair, we're going to give you a first, we're going to give you a fair trial and a first class hanging. And to me, that's what this boils <laughs> down to. You know, we're going to yeah. hang you. The hanging's already determined, but we're going to give you a fair trial first, except it won't be so fair. Yeah, well, that's really, yeah, I have to remember that. I have to write that down because I totally, totally agree with you. And I think, uh, look, I've seen friends like John Eastman and many, many other people, Steve Bannon too, I, I'll be so, I could spend the rest of the show lining up the names, but I don't need to. People know that they've been uh, raided by the FBI, humiliated. Uh, they are in danger of losing some of the attorneys, losing their law licenses. Anyone affiliated with President Trump has become prey, P-R-E-Y. Uh, but then also, Bishop Jackson, the thing that really I've spent a ton of time on because it just breaks my heart, are these prisoners held, especially in that D.C. jail, some of them over 300 days and facing, they're not even facing a trial until 2023. I, I don't know if you've been tracking that, but I'd love to know your thoughts about that. Yeah, you know, I, I'm convinced of this, Sandy. There are forces at work to try to destroy this country as we know it, to fundamentally transform it. And I said, there are two things you could do 
that could lead to a true upheaval in the country. When people lose confidence in our voting process, which we've just talked about, and they lose confidence in our criminal justice system. Uh, because if, if the criminal justice system is not going to treat me fairly according to law, and I don't have an opportunity to vote in people who I know are going to try to serve me according to law and under the Constitution, I, I'm not left with many options, and I won't go into what the, those are. But I think that that's really where they want us. And so the treatment of these folks who have been accused, I mean, we've seen criminals commit murder and walk out. We've seen people commit armed robbery. We just saw a guy wail on a police officer in a New York subway and try to kill him. I mean, trying to choke him to death. And he didn't even spend a day in jail. He was released on without uh, in his own recognizance. And, and yet we're taking people. Oh, yes. Look, if you broke the law, certainly you have to pay whatever the, the price is for having broken the law. And I think this was a, a protest that really just got out of hand. The, the, the word insurrection to me is really just must something said to be incendiary. I mean, we are 330 million people in this country with all kinds of, of, of apparatus of the law to protect us from uh, that kind of upheaval and to suggest that somehow the country was about to be overthrown. It's just silliness. It's just just silly. Um, and so th- these folks are now being treated like political prisoners by the left rather than being treated like people who broke the law and simply need to answer for whatever laws they broke and treated like any other citizen who, you know, for whom this situation got out of hand. But I mean, the killing of Ashley Babbitt, for example, in my view, somebody needs to be prosecuted yes. for that because yep. that to me was just cold blooded murder. So uh, there's a lot to this, but yeah. W- here, this is why we need a new Congress and a new president, because we've got to get to the bottom of all of this stuff, because I think whether you're liberal or conservative, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what party you're, you're affiliated with, we all want our criminal justice system to work fairly for all of us, or we should. And, and that's something that the next president and the Congress are going to have to really bore in on. Yeah. Uh, the last question. Oh, boy. Okay, there's the music. Oh, okay, that has to be short. As, as my brother in Christ, uh, do you see God bringing judgment, or do you still have hope? I see an awakening, Sandy, just like you were saying earlier. I see an awakening because I believe God loves this country, and he hears you and me and the millions of others across this country crying out to God in behalf of our nation. And I believe that God is bringing us an awakening that is going to turn this country around. And that is the reason why you need to listen to Bishop Jackson every day at one o'clock on this channel, because he always has wonderful things to say, and you uh, you learn so much from him. Okay, so Bishop Jackson, I really appreciate your help. Let me remind people that your Awakening Hearts and Minds uh, initiative is something that they could take to heart. Awakening Hearts and Minds, you can find it, I'm sure, at his website. And uh, I appreciate your time so much today, Bishop. All the rest of you have a wonderful day. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Mm-hmm.